Gracious Lord and God, we thank you that you have gathered us here today, whether we're sitting in the back or sitting in the front or sitting at home. Uh, we thank you that you are the Lord over all of your people, wherever you have us gathered uh, and uh, wherever you have placed us. We thank you that you speak to us through your living word, uh, that you have given uh, a living word through Jesus Christ uh, to raise us up from the death of our sin and our iniquity, uh, that you, by your living spirit, uh, raise us up uh, give us new life in him. We pray that you would help us to see something of this new life today as we look into your word. Uh, give us rejoicing, O Lord. Give us confidence as we'll read about that today. Uh, remind us of what a blessing and a privilege it is to be children of the living God. Remind us uh, of what it is to have the spirit abiding in us. Spur us on to love one another and to care for one another. O Lord, we pray uh, that you would do a work in your people's lives as we interact with your word today and we interact with one another interacting with your word. Help us to speak. Give us wisdom. Give us uh, discernment as we hear your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I mentioned uh, in my opening statement two weeks ago that it's a little difficult to read John and to figure out where the divisions are because he's a bit cyclical and he moves from one thing into another. We're going to see that today uh, as he moves. It's almost like uh, and I don't mean this irreverently, it's almost like a stream of consciousness, sort of one thing uh, empties into another. We ended last week speaking of abiding. Um, notice uh, the end there in verse 27 of chapter 2. As his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And then now he picks up another idea of abiding and he takes it in another direction until he begins to speak of righteousness. And from righteousness he talks about love and from love he goes on to something else and eventually he comes back around uh, and it's like this, this circuitous sort of thing. Uh, so it can be difficult to just track with what John is saying and where he's going but I want to challenge you as we're reading through, this is where we're going to start our conversation today, uh, can you discern a major theme in this collection of verses that we're reading together? Or maybe a sub-theme or something that you see from beginning to end uh, and maybe some of the underpinning, the scaffolding that, uh, that John has underneath his argument uh, as he's knitting it together so that we can see and we can follow together. That's where we're going to start today. Uh, so chapter 2, verse 28, and I'm going to read to the end of chapter 3. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. 
No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Now thus ends the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. So, what are some of the major themes, some of the connecting ideas that you've seen in this passage uh, from the beginning to the end, something that shows up the whole way through, or at least uh, in several key places. What do you see there? Bill? Okay. Abiding in Christ? Where do we see that? Verse 28. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yes. Right. And in fact, there's a contrast there as well. So you notice at the beginning and at the end, it's speaking about abiding in Christ and also about Christ by his spirit abiding in us. And there is this mutual dwelling, God with his people through the Holy Spirit in the lives of his people, and they with him. Uh, But there is also another mention of abiding. Did anybody see it Uh, just a little bit before the end? Verse 14. 
we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And so here's a contrast for us. Are you abiding in the one who at the beginning of John's letter, he said, uh, is the word of life? Or are you abiding in death? And how do you know those things? How can you, uh, how can you discern those things? What's, the, what's, what's, what's that, Bill? Do we, keep his do we keep his commandments? Absolutely. I think this is the perfect place for us to start. This is one of the major themes. There are other ones, and we're going to come back to them. But this is one of the major themes that, um, that John wants us to think about what it means to abide in Christ, and to have Christ abide in us. Can you think of other places uh, in Scripture where that is a prominent idea? Maybe some of the background that John might have uh, in mind for, for what he might be thinking about what it means to abide in Christ. And this is, this is metaphorical language, right? We don't set up residence. We don't have a physical dwelling where we say, here is my abode and I am in Christ. And so he, he's using some metaphorical language, and we've got to figure out what does it mean to abide in Christ and to have Christ abiding in us. So where might we go to understand more of, of what John has in mind here? Book of John? That's a great cross-reference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's take a look uh, at John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Bill Mercaldi is on fire today. Somebody else is going to have to jump in. And, uh... <laughs> John chapter 15. This is another big one, but I think it, it dovetails so nicely uh, with what we see here. And if you are ever confused as you're reading through 1 John uh, and you want to know what he's thinking, uh, let me suggest two things. You don't have to run out and buy a commentary, though those are nice, and I was excited to hear uh, that at the ladies' study recently they were talking about using commentaries and good resources. Two great commentaries for John's writings. Uh, if you are reading uh, the letters of John, or you're reading Revelation, or you're reading the Gospel of John, read Isaiah. It is almost as though from time to time John has Isaiah open when he's writing down these things, and he's remembering Jesus through the words of the prophet. Uh, and the same goes uh, for uh, his letters. If you're confused, turn back to his gospel and see where some of these same ideas show up. So let's get a, a bigger picture of what it means to abide in Christ. Could I have somebody volunteer to read John 15, verses 1 through 11 for us? Dave, all right. Look at that enthusiasm back there. I love it. Verses 1 through 11, please. Sure. Eleven. Eleven.
Now, there are a lot of parallels here with what we've seen already in the letter of 1 John. Uh, even that last phrase there, that your joy may be made full. Um, but there is an awful lot of abiding language in John chapter 15. Uh, and what are some of the parallels? What are some of the common themes uh, that show up between John 15 and 1 John when he's talking about abiding. What does abiding mean? How do we abide, or, or what does it look like for us to abide in Jesus? Where, where does it show up in our lives? Sorry, I'm out of the... Jay? Bearing fruit. Bearing fruit. Okay. Um, so on which portion of my multifaceted question are you answering? Uh, what does it look like? How does it start? Where is... Uh, what would you say? What's, what does it look like? Okay. Um, so, so bears fruit. And, uh, and he's already said that, right? We saw that. Um, By this my father's glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Now, uh, this is a really important idea here because what we see in 1 John 3, and this is one of the main reasons that we're in John 15, is that in 1 John 3, there's an awful lot of righteousness language, um, and we want to simply interpret Scripture with Scripture. And I think if, if we just uh, have a very plain reading of 1 John 3, we can come away saying, well, our abiding is dependent upon how righteous we are. Uh, that, that one leads into the other. That our righteousness means that we're abiding. And if we stop our righteousness, then we stop abiding. And, and that, that our righteousness somehow produces our abiding. But in, in John uh, 15, it is almost exactly the opposite. Whoever abides in me produces fruit. There is spiritual fruit, we could call it spiritual righteousness, good works, any of those categories that you want to speak in, uh, and Jesus is laying out a priority here. He says, abiding in me begins, is the beginning of this thing, uh, and fruitfulness is the result. And if you try to switch those, you've, you've missed the idea. Um, Jerry Maguire used to use an image from, I think, Ted Tripp um, with spiritual fruit that you can take you know, an, an old dead tree and you can go to the grocery store and you can buy a bunch of fruit and you can take your staple gun and you can put it up on the tree, um, but it doesn't make the tree alive. It just means that pretty soon there's going to be a bunch of rotting fruit hanging on a dead tree. Uh, but when the tree is healthy, it will, it will produce, even if it's not a fruit-bearing tree, it'll be leaves and buds and shoots and there, there will be signs of life because the tree is alive. Uh, and I think this is what we need to keep in mind here. Uh, that there is a very close correlation uh, in Jesus and, and in John uh, in the things that they teach us between our abiding in Christ and our fruitfulness and our righteousness, but we need to make sure that we've got them in the right order. Okay? Still? Okay. So it produces something else. Right. Not only does it produce spiritual fruit, but it, it produces an abundance of joy. 
in the person of, of who Jesus is. If you're, if you're abiding in him. Yes, yes. Now, this is, this is important because um, when you look throughout the pages of Scripture um, and you think about, in New Testament terms, what do we call a person who is a believer in Jesus? Maybe that's the term that we use. Uh, we'll talk about people as Christians, which the, the New Testament really only uses that term a few times, and it seems, uh, at least in the New Testament, as a derogatory term. Um, that, that the non-believers were calling the followers of Jesus Christians as sort of a, uh, an attack against them. So maybe we call one another Christians. Maybe we call one another believers. Maybe we call one another disciples or followers of Jesus. But in an overwhelming uh, vast quantity of, of occurrences in the New Testament, um, it simply refers to God's people as in Christ. Think of Ephesians. Think of uh, he has blessed us in him. All the places where Paul talks about uh, this is where we receive blessing from the Lord, it is as we are united to Christ. Uh, and it is this idea of abiding in him and he in us and this spiritual life that we share together because we are united to Jesus. Scott, you want to add to that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is a, a, a great segue to one of the other major themes in 1 John. Uh, it is this idea of children. Where do you see this in, in the passage that's in front of us, Scott? Verse 9, yep, right before there. It shows up also in the beginning of chapter 3. Uh, in verse 1, it shows up in verse 2. Uh, another idea is in verse 29. We've been born of him, we're children of God, we're God's children, born of God, children of God. Uh, and then, uh, again, there's a contrast, like, like the idea of abiding or not abiding. It talks about being uh, children of God or children of the devil. And so there is this contrast here. Uh, and, and what you see in, in the beginning of chapter 3 um, is almost a, a surprise at this. See, uh, you know, I think that the King James might be behold, or who has the King James in front of them? How does it begin, verse 3? Behold. Behold, look. Check this out. You're not going to believe this. Uh, what manner of love is this that we should be called children of God? We're we're supposed to be struck by, by what that means for us, that we should be called uh, God's children. Why, why should it be so surprising that we should be called children of God? Well, why would John want to point that out to us? With belonging? What do you mean, Jay? Yeah, this, this great idea of adoption. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there are privileges that come along with it. Um, and he, he wants us to recognize uh, what manner of love. Can you imagine uh, what God has done for us 
Um, but, but why not say, well, of course, of course he's called us his children. He's loving, isn't he? And he's, he's good, isn't he? And, and we deserve to be his children, don't we? Don't we deserve to be God's children? Don't we deserve to belong to him and not to something else or someone else? <laughs> Thanks, Jay. <laughs> Okay, back in, in John 15. Yep, yep. Yeah, that there's a change that happens. Um, and, and this idea of, and now we're just multiplying metaphors, right? Uh, children abiding and servants and friends and all these other things. But it, there is this incredible language of connection uh, between Jesus and his, his people. Uh, they are in him and he is in, there's an abiding. There is a, a parent and child relationship. Uh, you know, one of the, the most intimate bond uh, that we can think of. And, and you, could, you could go further with some of the other metaphors of Scripture, but, but John has this richness here that in no uncertain terms, remember what he wanted to, wanted to tell us. We looked at, in our first class at some of, the, um, some of the themes of the letter, some of the purposes that he set out. He says, I want you who believe in Jesus to know. And did you, know the, did you notice the theme, uh, the other one in here, of confidence from beginning to end? When he appears, we want you to have confidence in him. We want you to know that you belong to him. And I, I think that's really the bookend, this confidence. And in between both of those, he is wrapping up all of these other ideas. How can you have confidence when he appears that you will not shrink back from him, but you have confidence in his presence? Well, you've got to know that you belong to him. You've got to know that that you're his child. You've got to know that he abides in you. You've got to know that you, that you are his, and there is this intimate friendship relationship. Um, you know, th this idea, I mean, imagine um, you know, just the, the joy in a young child's face when their parent comes home and they show up and, Daddy, 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 and, and there's a running, and you know, the child knows that the father is going to embrace them. And then you take that same child and just a friend of the family walks in, uh, and that child is suddenly hiding behind mommy's legs. Because we, don't, we, don't, we know them, but we don't belong to them. This is what John is getting at. Behold what manner of love that God should give to us, us of all people. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about righteousness, and we're going to talk about sin, and we're going to talk about uh, hatred and love. And he says... And we get to be his, and we get to belong to him, and, and we ought to have confidence so that when he comes, we can say, this is where I ought to be. I, Scott, I saw your hand, but I saw another. Mike, did you have, were you going to jump in there? Yeah, and as Presbyterians, we talk a lot about election. 
talk a lot about choosing, but that's really the idea behind adoption. Uh, at least God's adoption of his children is that uh, he has chosen us in love in Christ. Um, and, you know, you, you know the, the feeling of being in a gym class and being the last one to be chosen. Um, well, the, the reality is that, that none of us deserves, this is, the, this is the question, behold, can you imagine? Can you imagine that God would choose us to be his children? We ought to be the last draft pick. I mean, absolute last on, on the list, all of us. And yet the Lord says, in love I choose you. Not because of anything in you, because quite frankly, you're the one who's making out on this bargain. Uh, I'm giving to you, and, and you're, you're not contributing a whole lot, but what I'm going to work in you. And the Lord says, yet I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to put my love on you and make you my child. Uh, and and it, ought to, it ought to give us this confidence and, and draw us together. So I saw Mike, I saw Scott, Dave, and then over to Brian, unless your, your point is germane to this particular... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we are. That's it. But then from a Christian perspective, as an evangelical, if you think about Emmanuel, mm-hmm. when they're thinking the Son of God, these people aren't thinking about what he chose the people. They're thinking Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Yeah. Oh, this puts us in some new comparable Christ? Yeah. That's a big deal. It really is. And you see in the New Testament, he is not ashamed to call us brothers. Yeah, and this, this anointing and this, not only do we belong to God the Father, but we belong to Jesus Christ as our, as our spiritual brother, in a sense. And, and it, it ought to just sort of shatter our understanding of what, what sort of love God is capable of uh, to think, um, you know, we're not called sons of God in the same way that Jesus is the son of God. He's the divine, eternal son of God, but we're, we're drawn into that. And we're, we're made children, and, and uh, you know, the idea of adoption and, and sonship, Jesus, as the natural-born son, has the rights of inheritance, inheritance right? Right, we're joint heirs, so we're adopted. Guess what we inherit by virtue of belonging to the Lord? We inherit the same, thing, same things that Jesus Christ inherits. The love of the Father, unconditional love and, uh, and care and provision. Yeah, we, we could just... We could keep going. Scott. This idea of abiding in the word that, that he has given to us. The truth of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. So we saw that. If you still have John 15 open, you can flip back to it. Uh, but he talks about, you will abide in me if my word abides in you. Um, and we could take that as his commandments, but also the word of, of who Jesus is. That's one of the themes that you brought up last time. Uh, here is my commandment, uh, that you believe in the Lord Jesus.
Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we found at the end of this one, verse 23 of chapter 3. This is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. And we love one another just as He's commanded us. And then it connects that again to abiding. What does it mean to abide? Where does that abiding start? Well, it begins with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it produces that, that fruit and that righteousness and all of these other things. And, and you see some of the language here. Uh, where is it? Um, verse 10, by this it is evident. So there are outward signs of something. By this is a, it is evident. Uh, and then verse 14, very similar. We know that we've passed. Uh, verse 16, by this we know love. Uh, and verse 19, by this we shall know we are of the truth. Uh, he's giving us, uh, well, how can I know uh, that this is actually happening in me? Uh, well, well, let's look at some of the outward evidences. And, and don't confuse the evidences with, uh, with the abiding. Uh, the, the evidences are produced by, it's fruit produced by the abiding. Um, but he's, in all of this, he's trying to build up our confidence. Because we know who Jesus is, what he's come to do, the fact that he's coming back. Uh, and we can see the fact that he's at work in us, this anointing that abides, and he, he picks that back up. Uh, again, by this we know, this is verse 24, by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit in whom, uh, whom he has given us. Uh, so maybe the best way to, um, to study John is, is with a stream of consciousness study where we're just, we're just <laughs> pulling out things uh, this morning. But uh, Dave, you were gonna, you were going to add to that discussion, please? There is a family resemblance, and this is one of the, the undercurrents of what he's getting at here. Um, take a look back, uh, verse 3. I, I think you're, you're right on point, uh, Dave. See what kind of love, chapter 3, verse 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Uh, and the reason why the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. Uh, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. What is he doing because we are God's children? He's growing us in this family likeness. And in some ways, this is, this is we live in the shadow lands, right? We still have this struggle against sin, and we're going to talk about this language of whoever, whoever sins and doesn't sin and does righteousness and doesn't do righteousness. We continue to live in, in this sort of irreconcilable war of the flesh against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, but he's looking forward. He's saying already we're, we're seeing some of the, the family likeness that he's working in us, but when it's, when it's said and done and when he comes back, here's part of our confidence. We will see him as he is because we will be like him, and, and the family resemblance will, will be complete in a sense. So that idea that what do children do? Well, they do the things that their father did. Um, and, uh, and he goes all the way back to Cain, uh, and, and there's this stream. It's amazing when you look in the New Testament how often, um, for, for what we would think of as relatively minor characters in the Old Testament, 
how often there is a contrast between Cain and Abel. Um, Christ speaks, uh, his blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And there are a lot of other prophets who were martyred we can connect Jesus' blood to, but it takes it all the way back. The righteous one who was put to death by the unrighteous one. And, and don't be like Cain who slew his brother. And, and there are these two streams, almost these two worlds, right? The, the one who is, who is the son of God's promise and the one who rejects God's promise. The son of light and the son of darkness. Uh, and we see those contrasts and what he's bringing out, as we see in John 8, so we see here, there's going to be a family likeness. By this, it is evident who are the children of light. Whoever does righteousness is of the light, and whoever does not do righteousness is not of the light. Teresa. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You cannot. No, that is, that is right on the money. Um, so what do we do? Um, good question. It's not the question I was going to ask, but let's, let's go in that direction. What do we do to remain in Christ? How would you answer that? <laughs> Jay? So here's his commandment. Uh, continue and persevere in this. Now, um, we'll start. <laughs> Jay? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, this, is, this is where I'm going. I'm just I'm taking, the, taking the rabbit trail route. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the question was, how do we remain in Jesus? Well, we, we continue the original, uh, which is to believe in his name, uh, to continue in his commandments. Um, and, and we saw something last time. Uh, you know, part of the question is, well, well how do we discern? Because we all know believers who it looks like began well and did not finish well. Uh, we all know people who would say, well, maybe they were in Christ, from, from a worldly standpoint, from what our eyes can see, it looks like they're in Christ, and then they are certainly not in Christ. They, they want nothing to do with the church, so what are we to say about that? What did John say about that in 1 John 2? Those who went out from us, I'm sorry, Mimi? No, go ahead, you do it. Yeah, Absolutely. So we, we have, in Scripture, these, these other two streams of thought. One, the consistent command um, to persevere, to continue, to press on in the faith, to, 
to make every effort to make your calling and your election sure. Um, that doesn't mean that by our efforts we establish those things, uh, but all of these commands are some of the things that, that God uses to, to keep moving us, right? Um, and in the end, if we see those who have, who have turned away, John says, when we see those who have turned away, they're revealing the truth of, of the fact that they never were a part of us in the first place, uh, that they were never really abiding in Christ, however m- much spiritual fruit they may have tacked up on the dead tree. Um, and so this is, this is why it's important not to confuse true belief in Jesus Christ with the spiritual fruit we produce, right? So if we, if we say, well, how do I know that I'm in Jesus? Uh, well, I'll look at the fruit that I produce. And if I'm producing enough fruit, I must be in Jesus. And if I'm not producing enough fruit, I must not be in Jesus. Um, but that, that is an evidence. That's not, the, that's not the basis. Am I confusing everybody else as much as I'm confusing myself? No? Tim? Good. Um, yeah, and, and so Scripture uses these, uh, the, this language of, of persevere and push on and press on. Uh, and yet it also talks about God being faithful. Um, in Philippians, uh, in, uh, in chapter 1, Paul writes to the Philippians, and he says, God who began a good work in you will carry it to completion at the day of Christ. And a couple chapters later, he says, now work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it's God who's at work in you, both to will and to work. We say, well, should we press on, or is God pressing on? Yes. Now, that's what sanctification is all about. That's what perseverance is. is it's God working in us by his spirit to cause us to continue and to persevere in the faith. And we can have confidence in him uh, and, uh, and, and keep on keeping on, uh, to, use, to use the cliche. Dave and then Scott. Scott, one more before we move on to the next thing. Notice the, the forward-looking aspect to this. This is another one of the uh, one of the sub-themes. It begins in verse 28. Um, and now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, you may have confidence and not shrink from shame at his coming. This is a last-day sort of language, when he appears. But it also talks about the fact that he has appeared. 
He has appeared, uh, it says uh, in verse 6. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Um, And then it speaks again in verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, but yet it continues to speak of of when he appears. Uh, and And it's placing us in, you know, the hoity-toity theological term is the already and the not yet. Uh, that Jesus has begun something, uh, and it is working, and Jesus can come, uh, and he can say in Mark chapter 1, the kingdom of God is at hand. And later in the gospel, he can say, some of you will not die before you see the kingdom of God come. Wait a minute. Is it, is it at hand, or is it still? Yes. Uh, it's, it's the already and it's the not yet. It, 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 he has appeared, and he, he did appear to put to death the works of the devil, but he's coming again. Uh, when he will, uh, he will do the rest of the cleanup, in a sense. Uh, and we're living in that tension. Uh, we're living in that tension between the fact that he has appeared and the fact that he is appearing, uh, and we are to set our minds and our hearts on what will be when he comes. And as the Spirit allows us, so we're relying on him, this is the membership vow everybody's taken, in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit, I will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ. Uh, quick plug, we're, we've got another membership class coming. Anyway, um, so th- this idea that, that in reliance upon Christ, we live in this family resemblance. What did he come to do? To, to put to death uh, or to, to put aside the works of evil. And he's coming again. Uh, and, and those who are his, uh, who, are, who are living in his righteousness through faith, will have no reason for shrinking back uh, when he comes to finally get rid of all unrighteousness in the earth. Teresa. I would say God is outside time and space. Time and space are both his creation. Um, Space is uh, creation uh, from uh, the mind of God, if we could speak of it that way. But you and I are not outside of time and space. Uh, And we we are, in some sense, destined to to live our lives and to think about uh, things in in relation to time and space. And so we look at this and we say, he has come, he is coming. Um, And and I don't know. Uh, Maybe God looks at it as all just... One thing, I don't know how, uh, how uh, God is, is able to conceive of these things, but I know that I'm stuck between the fact that he has appeared and he is appearing. Uh, and this also is one of the themes uh, of John. Remember this idea that he, he was manifest. We saw him, we touched him, we handled him, he was here, he appeared, and you know what? He's coming back. Uh, and so let's prepare ourselves. Let's, let's make sure that we've got confidence when he comes back uh, in the flesh, as he went away in the flesh. Let's um, shift a little bit. Um, This idea, verse 6, I think, is one of the clearest uh, places that we see it. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Uh, And then verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, Whoever for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, um, we've been talking a lot about confidence. Uh, and again, if we, if we take this and we say, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning, 
No one who has been born of him keeps on sinning. And we, we start to think, have I sinned this week, this morning, last five seconds? Um, and, and, you know, how do we have any confidence in this at all? And this is one of, the, one of the bookends that he's giving us here. Uh, who, who has, um, Tim, you've got the King James. How does the King James read in verse 9? Um, now, this is a, oh, that's a small thing. Um, but you notice that, that there in the King James, it's got two words. It's got a verb and a noun. Uh, commit sin uh, or, or do sin. It's not simply the verb to sin, uh, which is what we saw in the first chapter. He was talking about sinning, whoever sins or whoever has sins, and these little, uh, these, these little intricacies. Uh, and this is why the ESV picks it up and it, and it, and it makes it practice. Uh, the, the word here for commit um, is, so it's the Greek word poieo, uh, and, and that is a verb. It's connected to the Greek noun poiema, uh, so, so a verb and a noun sharing, sharing the same idea. Uh, that noun shows up in places like um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are God's workmanship. Uh, you, you can think of it as, as almost like the, I'm losing myself here. Uh, you can think of it almost like the, the German uh, suffix craft, K-R-A-F-T. You have all sorts of crafts. Um, and, and to be a, a craftsperson is not just that you, you pick up, uh, you know, a hobby and you, you do it once. Um, but, but you persist in these things. This is the idea. We're God's worksmanship, Paul will say in, in Ephesians. We are his poema. This is what God is doing in us, and he's, he's fashioning in us, and he's working in us, and he's continuing with us. Uh, and this is the word, the same idea that's behind this idea of commit sin or practice sin. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's very similar to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul starts to list off, you know that here are some people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, and, he, and he lists all sorts of sinners. Notice he doesn't say people who have committed this particular sin, but he, he categorizes them as drunkards and, uh, and homosexual offenders, and, and he uses nouns and categories, this idea of, of persistence in a sin. I think this is what John is getting at here. Whoever practices righteousness or practices unrighteousness, that is the, the underlying function of our lives, this persistence in unrepentant sin uh, reveals where our heart is. This is part of the reason that the church has church discipline, because there are sometimes people who say, oh, I'm, I'm, I abide in Christ, I'm his, uh, and there is a glaring sin that everybody else in the church sees, and it's not one of those small matters as, well, can you go to the movies or not go to the movies? It's one of these big things, everybody says, no, this is a sin, and they say, no, 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 I'm not worried about that. Uh, this is sin craft, in a sense, and, and, it, and it's persisting in sin and practicing in, in sin. And at some point, the church is supposed to say, uh, you, you are not living uh, in righteousness, and you are, you are proving that you're not really a part of the, the children of God, at least in, in the way that you're, you're acting. Um, and so he, he's giving us this idea here, and it's much more robust. That, that's what I want you to see uh, in this idea of practicing or doing or committing it's just a, a much more 
involve things. Uh, he is not saying now. Remember, he, he talked about walking in the light at the beginning, and part of walking in the light is admitting that we sin, admitting that we have sin, and admitting that we still struggle with sin, and admitting that these things are still a part of our everyday experience. And so he's not contradicting himself now. He's not saying, now if you've, if you've committed unrighteousness, you are simply outside the fold of God. Uh, but he is, I think, giving us a warning uh, that, if, that if you find... Uh, that there are sins in your life that you simply don't care that they're sins, and you don't, you don't care that, that they're there. I think this is a reminder that, that there's an evidence here. He says, by this it is evident who are, where is it? Uh, by this it is evident, verse 10, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. There's a family resemblance. We will be persisting in the craft of righteousness, we will, in, in the, the, the work or, or the, uh, whatever else you, you could say about it there. Uh, Scott, and then to Teresa. Yeah, and right, thank you. See, he's writing to believers, and he's warning them against false teachers. And he's saying, in a sense, Watch out, and, and you will know a tree by its fruit, by the consistent fruit that comes out of their lives. Uh, watch out for these things. Yeah. Teresa, were you going to add to that? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. You should be more humble like me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. The, the truth is that those things tend not to be disciplined in the church. But as a quick segue, I think John takes those very seriously because he transitions from this idea to love and hatred. And he transitions from this idea of righteousness and wickedness um, to love and hatred that is, that is evident, that shows up. Take a look. Um, in fact, it's the end of this verse. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Is it a sin not to love your Christian brothers and sisters? Yes. It is a commandment in God's word. And we don't think of love in those terms. We think of love as a feeling. Love's an experience. No, no, love is a commandment. Uh, and, and in John's purview, love ought to show up. And he gives us an example. Um, verse 17. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? There's one example. Uh, are, you, uh, are you miserly with the things the Lord has given you? Or are you, are you generous with those who are other brothers and sisters in the faith? I think a verse like this hits home uh, for us comfortable Western Christians who have lots of the world's goods. Um, and, and there's a lot of wisdom wrapped up. You know, we have other 
uh, other commandments in Scripture, things like, uh, you know, if a, if a man will not work, neither shall he eat. And this isn't saying that, you know, we ought to have some commune where everybody gets in for free and all you have to do is sign your name on the confession of faith and you're taken care of. No, 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 there are wisdom issues. Um, but we also need to make sure that we don't make wisdom issues an excuse for disobeying the clear commandment. Are there people in need? Does it, does it reveal our love? I'm, I'm going to let Teresa have one more uh, statement and then back to Jay. Yeah. Yes, please do. And I, I think the, uh, the crux of that statement is what does it mean to ask in his name? There, there are different ways of approaching that. Uh, sometimes you'll hear folks, I would call them false teachers, uh, name it and claim it, sort of uh, uh, works, uh, faith, righteousness, and, and all those sorts of things, um, who would say, well, just make sure your prayer has the right formula and end your prayer with, in Jesus' name, amen. And whatever you pray, if you've got enough faith uh, and you add that, that little thing at the end, you get it. Uh, but I think in Jesus' name um, is, is much larger than that. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, the ancient idea of, of what a person's name was, well, it, it signified their whole being. In fact, um, for a lot of uh, really conservative Jews even today, when they speak of God, they don't use the name God um, because they, they don't want to blaspheme. And so they'll call him Hashem, the name. Uh, and so they encapsulate who is God. Well, he's, he's the one who is the name. Um, and and it, it's not such a different idea when Jesus is saying, ask in my name. Ask according to all that I've told you I'm about in the world. Ask uh, according to my will is another way to put it. And I think those are parallel thoughts. Um, and, and we would say, we'll seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all the other things will be added to you. Um, and, and praying in Jesus' name begins with, with, what would the Lord have me to pray for? And search his word and what does God care about in the world and in your life? Uh, and maybe it's not so circumstantial. We pray for a lot of circumstances, and that's good. We ought to. Um, but in Scripture, what we see very often is the spiritual fruit that comes out of circumstances. That's what the apostles were praying for. As you know, without a shadow of a doubt, God wants his people to grow in patience and long-suffering and kindness and love. And you never need to be afraid when you pray for those things. Help me to be more forgiving of my brothers and sisters. Help me to be more loving for those who are in the church. And you have confidence before him when you pray those prayers. Uh, and and you're, you're submitting yourself to, to God's will and saying, align me with, with what you're doing. And it's not, I'd really like a BMW, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, yeah, so there are different ways that we could, we could think about that. Jay. And you're going to have the last word. Maybe Tim will get the last word. <laughs> nope, we're, we're cutting it off somewhere. Yep.
Tim, final words. No, 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 never. And it won't steal any thunder, but what you'll see, because there's so much in today's passage, we can't cover it all. But what you'll see is that Joseph will say, and tell my father to come down, and I will provide for you and for your household and for your little ones so that you may live and not die. That's the phrase that they have been kicking back and forth, so that we may live and not die. Come down, and I will provide for you and for your little ones. And he doesn't close his heart to these brothers who close their heart to him. Uh, and it is this beautiful picture of what love ought to be uh, among God's people and repentance. We're going to talk about that, so we'll, I'll stop there. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord and God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would continue to sharpen us by it and by your spirit working in us as we read it and study it together. Thank you uh, for all of our conversation today. Thank you for uh, the wisdom and the insight that you've given us. Help us, O oh Lord, to remember those things uh, that you would have us to remember in anything that's unprofitable. Uh, any uh, false words from my mouth. <laughs> we pray that you, would, uh, that you would quickly cast those aside, that we would turn our eyes to you, uh, and we would see your goodness and your mercy to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Oh, sorry.